0: Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life. We're doing a, a mini-series, so to speak, uh, about the flood. Uh, over the last three weeks and and we'll actually be uh, finishing up uh, that series today and then we're going to do a Christmas series entitled All I Want for Christmas. Uh, So I hope you'll be inviting people to come and be with us for for that series. Uh, What got us into the study on the flood was the study that we did about the fall of man and it's a really logical progression because you see the cause of the flood being man's sin it's like as Adam's race expanded uh, along with it sin uh, also expanded to the point that God looked down on the human race and decided to do a restart through Noah and his family and he sent a worldwide flood uh, that um, destroyed everyone else except Noah and his family and the uh, the animals that God had brought to uh, to be on board uh, the ark The topics that we've talked about uh, in in this series, um, one was the cost that I just alluded to a moment ago, Uh, man's sin was the cost, Uh, and then last week we talked about the ark, which is a picture of God's salvation, and we're going to finish up talking about God's sign being a covenant. Uh, As has been the case in this series, we've kind of hit the highlights of the verses that we 've looked at, because uh, logistically speaking, it would be kind of impossible to read verse by verse and cover a message uh, in detail, uh, so what i 've done is try and pull the highlights out, and, and that 's what we 're trying to do today also, and as we talk about the covenant god 's sign i 'm wanting you really to see. Uh, Two main things, I want you to understand that God gave this promise, this covenant to Noah, and and also that he's given us a greater promise, a greater covenant uh, through the cross of Jesus. And that's what will lead us in uh, to partaking of, of the Lord's Supper. So God gave a covenant sign, and the covenant sign that He gives in this story uh, here in Genesis is the rainbow uh, on the other side of the flood taking place. So as we think about that, God having brought Noah and his family safe through the flood, and then God making a promise, uh, a covenant to them. I want you to kind of follow along with well, three, three main different topics. The, the first one is God's faithfulness, that God is faithful. Uh, God always keeps his promises. God never takes his covenants back. He never, ever takes away uh, a promise. The the Bible says in Genesis 8 1 that God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. The word that's used for remember doesn't mean that God forgot it and, and somehow he had to call it back to mind. It's not talking about something being forgotten. Uh, God really can't forget anything unless he purposely wills to forgive something or forget something like our sins when we trust in Christ as Savior. What the word does mean here for a member, it means to pay attention to, it means to fulfill a promise and act on the behalf of someone. So that's what God does with Noah and his family and all these animals. God had made a contract, a covenant, a promise with Noah to build the ark, get on it, and then he would keep them safe through the storm. God remembers his promise. God remembers his covenant with them, uh, and he acts on their behalf. He acts on uh, their benefit on the other side of the storm by, by bringing them out safe. In Hebrews uh, chapter 10 verse 17, the Bible says this, and and their sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. That's a covenant, a promise that God makes with us because of Jesus, that God will not remember our sins and iniquities anymore when we trust Christ as Savior. Aren't you thankful for that promise? Amen. If you're not, you're being deceitful with yourself and acting like you don't have any sins and iniquities. I've got plenty of my own. How about you? I am thrilled to know that because of Jesus, God will not remember them. God made a promise in a contract with us, a covenant with us, not to remember our sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we'll talk more about that in detail uh, near the end of the service. But in a similar way, God made that promise or covenant with Noah saying that I will remember you, I will remember my promise to you, I will bring you safe through the other side of this storm. Remember also implies a previous commitment made by God and announces the fulfillment of that commitment so put yourself in in Noah's position or maybe some of the family members position for a moment they've been on the ark by the time they get off for over a year now as I said last week that brings some interesting things to bear it makes me wonder what it smelled like on the ark after a year with all the animals there I'm hoping they had a good system to get rid of everything that was taking place on the ark but imagine being boxed up even though it's a large ship you're you're there on the ark for over a year potentially i can imagine noah or maybe some of his family members start to think well god promises he'd keep us safe he promised us he would take us through this storm But man, we've been on this boat a really long time and there's still a lot of water out there. And just maybe they started to ask questions or think in their own heart something like this. Has God forgotten us? You ever have that question in your own mind? As you go through storms in life, as you go through circumstances and difficulties and trials and problems in your life, do do you ever think maybe God's forgotten me? You see, whether you want to admit to that or not, I think that's a very natural human reaction that all of us have from time to time because we'll allow the circumstances to gain all of our attention and we'll look at the circumstances right in front of us instead of focusing upon God and his promises and we'll allow the circumstances that we see right in front of us or all around us to cause us to question, has God forgotten me? It's a really normal, natural human experience for us to to questions something like that. Matter of fact, in the Bible, we are told of Bible characters, the heroes of the faith, so to speak, asking questions like that. King David, for instance, asked this question in Psalm 10, verse 1. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In other words, God, I, I need you right now. I can't see you on the horizon. I can't see you. In the midst of these circumstances, why are you standing off so far? We're also told by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.8 that he faced so many difficulties in Asia Minor that he despaired of life itself. It's like he was willing to throw his hands up and just give up because of everything that he was facing in his life. Jesus Christ, no less, God in the flesh, the God-man, that is as much God as he is man, as much man as he is God. On his human side, his humanity, as he was there on the cross, he cried this out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So even God in the flesh, God's own son, had those human emotions in the midst of what he was facing on the cross where he said, God, why, why have you forsaken me? It's just natural for us to Think that sometimes. That's why it's good for us to focus on studies like the ark and God making promises to Noah and God making a promise to the human race that He would never ever destroy the world again by the way of water, by the way of a flood. And it's good for us to focus upon the fact that God makes promises and God is faithful and God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his covenants. And that way, when we have those natural human emotions in the midst of our own storm, saying, God, where are you? We can remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God. God always keeps his promises and covenants. He always remembers what he's promised. He always pays attention both to his covenant and those whom he's made the covenant with. God acts on the behalf of those who he has made promises to. You need to be sure that, that God never forgets. Understand that, that God never forgets and he never forsakes his people, not only because of his promises, but also because of his very own character. Think about the character of God for a minute. God is love. So if God is love, that by itself will mean that God is faithful. Because real love inspires faithfulness. Amen? Whether it's God or people in a relationship with each other, marriage relationship or whatever, if it's real love, it also calls for faithfulness in that commitment. God can never deny himself or his word. God can never, can never change because the word that theologians use is that he's immutable. He, he doesn't change. Because God is perfect, he can't get better in some way. Do you understand that? God can't decide to improve because he's already completely perfect. So since he's perfect, he will keep his promises. Because God is holy, he cannot do anything that's wrong. He has to keep his promises because he's perfect and because he's holy. Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5, where he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, no matter what you're going through, God's still on his throne. Your circumstances in your life doesn't dethrone God. It doesn't mean that God no longer has the power to help you in the midst of the circumstances. You can be in a storm in your own personal heart, wondering where in the world is God at? That God is always faithful, and He promised us, I will never leave you or forsake you. I don't know how many of you have ever looked in the, the original Greek manuscript or performed some word studies on that particular verse. I actually got in trouble at one church that I was at because I, I made a statement that was really wrong, I guess, at that church when I said the King James gives a poor interpretation of that verse. But that wasn't an attack against the King James. Somebody took it like that uh, at that church. But any version almost I've ever read gives a poor interpretation of what this really says in the Greek. Because when you read it in the Greek, the tenses that are there, God more or less says this I will never, no, never, no, never, ever leave you or forsake you. You see how much more powerful that is? God promises us I'll never, ever, 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 no, never will I ever leave you. forsake you so as we think about the storms of life and the storms that Noah went through and and God being a faithful God we need to understand that he always keeps his promises second thing today I want you to notice as we think about this original covenant here this rainbow that God made with uh with Noah the sign of this covenant was the rainbow I, I want us to talk for a minute think for a minute about God's covenant signs plural i'm not going to read all those verses you can uh, read them yourself but i'll just kind of give you a paraphrased version of it more or less what takes place in those verses is on the other side of the storm god is talking to noah and god said i'm going to make you a Promise. I'm gonna make mankind a promise. I will never ever destroy the world again by a worldwide flood. He didn't say there would never be floods, but he said I will never ever destroy the world with a flood again. It will be eventually in the future by fire. The Bible tells us. We talked about that last week. But God makes this covenant, this promise with Noah, and I'll never do it again by the way of a flood. And He said, just to give you a sign of my promise, a sign of a contract, I'm gonna put my bow in the sky rainbow in the sky and when you see that you'll remember that I promised you I'll never ever destroy you by flood again when I see it myself God says it will remind me of the promise that I have made to you that I will never ever break my promise with you there are multiple signs in the Bible to Abraham God made a covenant and the sign of that covenant was circumcision I'm thinking you could remember that one for a while, you know? Especially the adult men, because it wasn't done as a baby. It was done as the adult men. I'm, I'm thinking that's a sign the guys could remember for a while, you know? Been a little bit uncomfortable. The sign that God gave to Moses at the time that he was making that covenant on Mount Sinai was the sign of the Sabbath. There, there are multiple covenant signs that God gives but the one we're looking at today is this this rainbow this sign that he gave to Noah that people could see and understand that God had promised there'd be no future storm that would ever become worldwide and destroy humanity that God would see and remember his promise to mankind Mark Twain and a friend one day were coming out of church and it started just this terrible downpour of rain and Mark Twain's friend looked at him, and he said, Do "You reckon it's ever going to stop?" And Mark Twain, in kind of his usual candor, uh, said, "It always has." And you see, it always will because God made that promise that He would never ever destroy the world again by the way of a flood. Also, wants to focus on some implications from the rainbow. I, I was studying some things about the rainbow this week, and I, you know, I, I wish there's some way uh, that we could convey with each other fully when God really touches your heart about something when you're studying the Bible. Because as I studied it this week and I'm trying to explain some of it to Becky and I'm sitting there studying and I'm weeping like a baby while I'm studying this and thinking about these implications of the rainbow because some of it I had never seen before, never thought about in, in this way and I'm kind of trying to explain it to her and I'm trying to keep from boohoo and while I'm explaining it to her and I, I wish I, 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 wished I can, could convey that and just plug it into your heart. But I hope maybe some of these implications will be a, a, a blessing to you as we think about some of these implications. See, rainbows are are caused by sunlight filtering through the rain, the mist of that that rainbow being out in the sky. It's a picture, I think, probably of God's grace to us through that covenant, but it's also a picture of God's grace in a a different way. Way And that is 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. He writes about the manifold grace of God. The word for manifold reminds me of a rainbow. Because when you look at what the word manifold means, it means various, many-colored, variegated. So from that standpoint, all the colors of the rainbow might ought to remind us that God's grace is multicolored also. Some implications from the rainbow. One, a bow is an instrument of war. When you think about what a bow is, I mean, something you can harm someone with, bring judgment upon someone with, something you can injure something or kill something with. I'll apologize to some of you ladies. You probably won't like me after this, but a couple of days a a week, I've gone either morning or evening, one since August, uh, trying to set up in a tree with two sticks, a bow and arrow, hoping a deer would come by, and I was planning on doing it harm. I'll be honest with you. Did I know I didn't get one in close enough, so that didn't take place. Rifle season was a different matter, so you can forgive me on the front end, okay? Ken told me the other week that he... uh, he he missed one he he just got into bow hunting this year but he your intent was to do some harm wasn't it yeah a little bit at the time you let it go but see that that's the picture of what a bow is about and, and it's a strange thing to me that god god could have put any image in the sky that he wanted because he's god you understand that but he chose to put something that's in the shape of a bow and god being god he could have pointed the bow and any direction he chose to point the bow he could have pointed the bow with the curve toward us which to me would make perfect sense because we deserve the bow being pointed toward us because we had sinned and rebelled against him but that's not what god did instead he pointed the bow in his own direction because one day his son was going to come and go and die on the cross for our sins that through faith in him, we can have everlasting life. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. God pointed the bow in his direction, and he ultimately fulfilled that by his Son dying on a cross, taking our punishment, taking our judgment, taking our bow shot, so to speak because of our our sins rainbows are universal you can see a rainbow in any part of the world they're free also by the way i failed to mention that earlier i meant to mention that a few minutes ago and i failed to mention it but you don't you don't have to pay money to see a rainbow god just puts it out there for free there's no admission charge Thank God he does that by his grace for us through Jesus also. Amen. It's free. We don't pay for it. He provides it for us through his son. And just like the rainbow is various colored and maybe can be symbolic of various elements of God's grace, that universal grace is needed all across the world. All mankind on every continent need the grace of God. They need jesus christ just like they can see a rainbow universally anywhere in the world god's grace is needed universally anywhere in the world first john chapter 4 verse 14 verse 14 says and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world the rainbow also isn't just for us i kind of alluded to that a few moments ago but the rainbow is also for god to see because God said, I'll look upon it. And when God looks upon the rainbow, it reminds him of the promise he made to mankind. It's one thing for us to look upon it. I mean, it's great, I think, that we can look in the sky and see there's a rainbow and remind ourselves that God made a promise to mankind, a covenant with mankind, that he would never ever destroy the earth again by the way of a flood. But how much greater is it to understand that God himself says, hey, you're not the only one that sees it. You're not the only one that looks at it. I look at it myself. And when I see it, it reminds me of the promise I made you. Just like when he sees the cross and he sees the blood that was shed. And he's reminded of what he did for us through his son. There's about... Three instances in the Bible, three important instances in the Bible involving men seeing rainbows. One is Noah that we're studying in in this study, and and Noah saw the rainbow after the storm was over. Another instance of a man in the Bible seeing a rainbow was Ezekiel. In in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 28, And Ezekiel sees the rainbow in the midst of the storm while the storm's actually taking place. And along with that vision that Ezekiel has, he has this vision of wheels and of a throne, and he saw living creatures, and each one of them had four faces. One was like a man, one was like a lion, one was like an ox, and one was like an eagle. And that just so happens to be the same faces that John saw in the book of Revelation. But when we go to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 3, We also discover this, that John saw the rainbow before the storm of judgment took place, but John doesn't see a partial rainbow. John sees a rainbow that is around the throne. In other words, it's a circular rainbow, a complete rainbow all the way around the throne. And that blessed me when I thought about it because you see, in this world many times the Bible tells us we see things darkly. We don't see it completely. But thank God there's coming a day that we'll see it completely and understand it fully. We, we can see that rainbow up there, and it can mean something to do us now, but imagine in heaven seeing that rainbow all the way around the throne. We see things from God's perspective one day when we're in his presence for all eternity. Right now, we just see things partially. You might not understand the reason for the storm, the purpose for the storm, why you're going through what you're going through, but one day you'll understand fully in God's presence. We, we see things darkly now, but one day we will see it completely, totally as they really are. The personal lesson in that for us is simply this. In the storms of life, we need to look for God's promises. In the storms of life, we need to look for rainbows. In the storms of, of life, when we're facing difficulties and hard circumstances, we need to understand that God cares, that God loves us, that God knows that he's not forgotten about us. We need to remember the covenant promises that we have with God, especially the covenant promise of Jesus Christ that God made with us when we're going through difficulties in life and understand if you look at the cross, you'll realize how much God loves you and cares for you. You might be like John and you might see the rainbow before the storm. You might be like Ezekiel and you see the rainbow while you're in the midst of the storm and you, and you figure out, oh, okay, I'm in the middle of this storm, but there's still a God that's in control. You might be like Noah. You might not see the rainbow until you're on the other side of the storm. But God's always faithful. You understand that? God always, always keeps His promises. You might call this promise of the rainbow the... Old Testament version of Romans 828, where God says all things work together for the good of those that love me and are called according to his purposes. That's the covenant in this story of the flood. The main covenant I want you to think about before we approach the Lord's table is God's covenant sign found in the cross. Don't look away from it. Look at the image on the screen. It's pretty brutal, but that was just in a movie. And as bad as that movie represented things, as tragic and beaten as Jesus was in that movie, I'm not sure that even fully gives us a picture of everything he went through. God made a promise to Noah. Noah. But the ultimate once-and-forever covenant sign is Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the ultimate promise for us to look at. That's the ultimate covenant. That's God's clearest communication of His love and His concern for man. It's found in the crucifixion of His Son, Jesus Christ on the cross. The cross is the sign of the covenant of God's grace. I want you to get that in your mind because whenever we approach the Lord's table in just a a few moments that bread represents the body that was nailed to a cross and so beaten and abused and broken for us and that cup represents the blood that he shed on the cross for our sins Paul said this In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 30. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the same night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant. In my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Before I keep reading, a couple things you need to know and think about as you partake of the Lord's Supper. Number one is symbolic. This is not literally the body of Jesus or the blood of Jesus. There are some denominations that teach once the priest blesses it that it literally changes. They call it the doctrine of transubstantiation, and and they'll say it transforms itself and it literally becomes the blood of Jesus and literally becomes the body of Jesus. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is saying it's symbolic. This represents my body. This represents my blood. It's also a memorial. He he said we're doing this in remembrance of him. We're, We're memorializing what Christ did for us on the cross. We're remembering what he did. He goes on. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died the phrase unworthy manner that's found there don't misunderstand what what paul is saying I've known people before, over the years I've been in the ministry, especially the first country church that I, that I pastored, I would notice some people not partake of it or not think that they should touch it and someone else should give it to them. And, and, and I started finding out why. They thought the word unworthy meant that they had to be worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. Can, can I ask you a question? Who is worthy of the blood of Jesus? Nobody. It's by God's grace. No one is worthy of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. No one. But we can't partake of it in a worthy fashion, and that means you're discerning, you're thinking about you're concentrating on what Jesus did for you as you partake of the Lord's Supper. Because you see, there was a warning that went with it. If you come and you partake of this in a frivolous manner, if you're not discerning the Lord's body, if you're not thinking about what Jesus did for you on the cross, you're actually eating judgment to yourself. It even says some people got sick and even died because they partook of it in the wrong way in that day and time. Paul tells them that's why some of you are sick. That's why some are asleep or some have died. So it's a very serious thing when we come and partake of the Lord's Supper also. It's something that we do with a solemn spirit, but with a spirit of thanksgiving. And I think to a certain degree celebration in our heart for what Christ has done for us. As you approach the Lord's table in a few moments, please, please make it an act of worship. The story about Noah, part of it that I did not read in the text that we're focusing on today tells us that Noah did this. On the other side of the storm, as soon as they got off the ark, Noah and his family worshiped God. God. His very first act is to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving to God. Showing appreciation and thanksgiving to God for the fact that he had brought them safely through the storm. Very first act, worship God. And in a similar fashion, as you approach the Lord's table, you ought to do it as an act of worship being reminded in your mind and your heart what God did for you to set you free, what God did for you to protect you from judgment, what God did for you in order that you might be forgiven of your sins. In an appreciation for what God has done for us, this is an act of worship that we do toward Him. After all, all of my family's not here today, but my family, that that available Uh, I'm going to ask them to come in just a moment and and then we're going to kind of model for you what I want you to do and then when I turn you loose in just a moment to prayerfully go to each one of of these tables whichever table you choose to go to Uh, like I said there's one at either side of the stage one here two on the back wall you choose whichever you desire to go to if you need help uh, let us know I've got some people stationed at most of them I, I think And if you need help for some reason let us know But in in essence, you you come up, hopefully prayed up from your seat before you even approach the table. And as you come up, just take the tongue and take a napkin. Dip it into the juice, thinking about this is the Lord's body. If you're up here with your family or if you're leading a group, that's fine if you want to all gather around and remind each other, hey, this, this is his body that was broken for us. And then dip it in, and th- this is his blood that was shed for us. And then just put it on the napkin and then partake of it together while you're up here. You don't need to wait to your seat. We're not, we're not doing it in unison. You're doing it as a family, your individuals, as a group here at the front. During the whole time that we're doing the Lord's Supper, I want you to consider it an invitation. We're not doing a song invitation today. There will be a song, a couple of songs here at the end of the service, but we're not singing an invitation. They'll be playing some music through the sound system. And as you see these people worship God and celebrate what Christ has done for them by partaking of the Lord's Supper, If you understand that you don't know Christ as your Savior and you want to trust Jesus, then I will be here at the front to help. And the invitation is open all the way through as people partake of the Lord's Supper. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, Lord, help us right now that know Christ as our Savior to push out thoughts that might want to distract us, to confess sins that are active in our life that we need to turn loose of. Father, if we've grown cold, help us to admit that we've grown cold spiritually toward you. Father, if we're not as close to you as we need to be, Father, we ask you to forgive us. Lord, if we've got some relational problems with others that need to be healed, we we pray you help us to do that. But Father, as we approach this table, we thank you for the body of your Son that was crucified. We thank you for the blood that he shed, that through faith in him we can have everlasting life. We thank you for the covenant sign of the cross and your grace, the ultimate covenant, the ultimate sign of your grace, the cross. Which in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.